0: It's so much easier to get an interview once you're at Amazon. So like when I was at Etsy, like I think I've done like six phone interviews at Google, two on sites, never got it. When When I finally got in at AWS, doors opened up for me like crazy. Like I would go in to San Francisco to interview and it was crazy. It was like the jobs all of a sudden became so much easier. Like before I was at Amazon, they would leak code me for a day and a half. And now that I'm in Amazon, I literally show up and they'll make small talk. And at the end, they'll be like, okay, like, where do you see yourself? And they'll, they'll offer me a job. Like the whole thing, it's illogical. It's subjective. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of a system that frustrates me. There are no rules, no rules. You're listening to Degree Free on the Degree Free Network, where we talk about how to teach yourself, get work and make money. No degree needed. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Hannah Maruyama.
1: Aloha folks and welcome back to Degree Free where we teach you how to get hired without a college degree. I'm your host Ryan Maruyama. Before we get into today's episode, if you would like to receive a short weekly email that has different degree-free jobs and how you can get hired without a college degree, then go over to degreefree.co forward slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Now I am super excited to get into my conversation with Sean Dubois, who is our guest today. Sean and I cover a lot of ground and I'm really excited for you to hear the conversation. Sean is a developer at Twitch and has been at companies such as AWS, Etsy, and Apple. You can say hi to Sean at LinkedIn, and I will put links to everything that we talked about in the show notes at degreefree.co forward slash podcast. Now I suggest that everybody listen to this episode, even if you are not thinking about becoming a developer, just a little peek behind the curtain when we're doing these episodes. At the very beginning, we jump on a call and we chit chat for a little bit. And then I start the recording. One of the things that I ask people is what would make this podcast a success for you? I ask this question because I don't pay these guests to come on here. They come on here because they want to spread the word about whatever they're doing, or just want to help people just like you get into jobs that they love and experience and get to success, whatever that means in your life. And so. Normally that stuff is not even captured on the recording, but I recorded it a little bit early and we jump right into it. So I just wanted to give a little bit of backstory and some explanation to why we're just going to jump right in as soon as this podcast starts. That's just a little bit of background. I just wanted to let you know that because we jump in and I didn't want you to be confused. Like I said, even if you are not thinking about being a developer, there really is something in here for everyone. We get really, really deep in this episode, deeper than we normally get on this show. And I really liked it. I enjoyed it. And I hope you do too. I would love your feedback on this episode if you could go to YouTube and comment on this episode and let us know if you liked it. Let me know if you didn't like it. let me know if you just want me to stick to the normal quote unquote script, although we don't really script these things. And I really really hope you enjoy this episode with Sean Dubois.
0: The reason I don't have a degree was you know I had personal issues like I, I feel like I I had like all this like angst when I was younger that prevented me from doing things. It's not just like that you don't have a degree, but there's all these factors that lead into it that I'd love to talk about because I think there's a lot of things that people go through. That they don't feel comfortable talking about, or people aren't honest about. Yeah, I just hope to be as, as honest as possible. And it's not just about the degree, but like what your personal life is like. And like, are you happy? Are you accomplishing the things you want? And I guess, like, the reasons I have the job that I have, you know, I, I guess all those things. That would be my, my goal. It's not, it's, it's not just about like, oh, I made it without a degree, but like, I feel like I'm, I'm a happier person and I made up for some of the mistakes that caused me troubles when I was younger. Yeah. I would say that's it.
1: And I don't know if you would agree with this, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is probably why I'm bringing it up now, which is I think a lot about you know, this project or this company or whatever it is that we want to call what, what we do here. Just trying to boil it down to like, what is this and what is our message and what do I really care about at the end of the day and what do I want people to know? at the crux of it all, at the very center, after you boil, boil the degree away and the career and, and all of that, obviously there's the success portion of it, of whatever that means to you, as we were talking about before, I think what we preach and preach is a difficult word, but it's like intentional living, right? It's, it's just Being intentional with your actions and your goals and not going through life like life is just happening to you. I'm not trying to preach really because I just felt when I was, you know, like a lot of our listeners, a lot of our listeners are not in tech or they're not working office jobs at all. They look a lot like me. Like I did but like I was 10 years ago which is I was a bartender and I didn't know what I wanted to do and you know I might be working a retail job or I might be a mechanic something like that and you're just thinking about I want something different in my life but I don't know how to get there and I think that college could be not like I but like you in that position who that, that person like maybe college is the way to do that and then what I'm hoping creating all this content and doing what we do is that we're providing some sort of alternative and I hate to use alternative, but I'm just using that in quotes to that narrative and trying to open up people's eyes and be like, you know, you can do it a different way. Because as long as you have your goal of what you want in life, you can back engineer a way to get there.
0: Yeah. For me, the job and everything else, it was a side effect of, I don't know when it clicked, but there was a couple things like, that life isn't fair in good and bad ways like you'll stumble into success and you'll have hardships and some people have more hardships than others and come to terms with you just accomplish as much as you can and you feel happy and proud of yourself for what you've accomplished I'm trying to think about what I felt like when I was 16 and I remember being so frustrated that I wasn't good at any sports That I wasn't good at school like that was just I was just very like unspectacular and everyone was dissatisfied with me You know like school was dissatisfied. My my mom was dissatisfied with me like nothing was ever good enough and There's a certain thing like it, it clicked with me like I stopped caring what other people thought and it felt like my life took off after that I became a happier person And I don't think it matters like what job you do. And I feel like a lot of people I talk to that are stuck is because they're in this trap of they're trying to make everyone around them happy. And so they're like, okay, I'm going to get a degree because that will make my parents proud. Or I'm going to go do this because I want other people to respect me. And I don't even want people to come away from this and be like, okay, the key to life is I'm not going to get a degree and I'm going to hustle and I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to go, you know, get a tech job or something like that. Like, I, I guess... I wish I had figured that out sooner that I think I would have enjoyed school a lot more. I would have enjoyed like my like young adulthood a lot more, but eventually it just clicked with me that like, I'm just going to do the best for myself.
1: That is amazing. I really, really resonate with that message, especially that portion of living my life for somebody else. And maybe living my life for somebody else is a little bit dramatic, but I'll just say Taking actions in my life that I thought other people would approve of. Maybe that's a little bit more accurate for me in my life. It's my grandfather. I come from a very, very Japanese background, and so everybody in my in my family, from you know my dad's side, which is my Japanese side, everybody's like, "You're gonna go to college. You're gonna go." deal with some sort of money, or you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to be a success. And that's what it's going to be. No questions. No, if, ands or buts after high school, I hated high school so much that I graduated in three and a half years. Like I hated it. And I was just like, I'm going to graduate in three and a half years, not because I'm bright, but because I can't stand it. But also I knew because I wasn't living for myself, I had to go to college. So I wanted to speed that up even more. So I said, okay, well. I'm gonna take extra classes, get out of there in three and a half years. And then maybe in college I can take extra classes and get out of that. And so I'm finally done living for somebody else, or at least I can start living for me, or I'd start making decisions that make me happy. And it wasn't until I'm not sure what what age you made that decision that you're just gonna make decisions for yourself to where you're gonna make yourself happy and not your mom or your or your friends or your family. But for me, it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I made that decision. I went to college. I got a degree. I have a degree. I have a degree in economics and the people that listen to this podcast know that. And the only reason I got a degree in economics is I wasn't smart enough, quote unquote, to get a degree in finance. And I got a job after that my family approved of. It was family approved, but I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. I was basically a monkey with a headset and I would sit and I would crunch numbers all day, every day, thankless job. There was literally no windows in the building that I worked in, but my family was happy with that. And it wasn't until 24 years old that I was just like, Hey, I can't live my life and make these decisions for you anymore. And I have to do that. So I really resonate with what you're saying. And I, and I think that a lot of people that are listening to this will also resonate with that because I hear it every day from the people that listen to this and from, from all the content that we make and people we talk to. So I would love to, you know, you're 16 years old and you're making these decisions for, you know, for your mom and for your family. What does it look like when you finally break those shackles? How old are you?
0: What are, what, what's going through your head? Yeah. So I was 16 and I guess some of these distinctive things I remember. So I felt like my whole life, you know, I loved computers growing up i was like putting computers together and i was you know downloading games and doing no cd patches and stuff like that as a little kid just because i you know i wanted free games and stuff like that i didn't really like i never thought about being a programmer i was just trying to like do things for my own hobby and i was always told like oh you're gonna be the next bill gates you're gonna be a programmer blah 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 like i had my whole life like everyone told me what my life was going to be and so i felt like that was i was going to be and but at the same time My family found me a disappointment because there was really nothing spectacular about me. I didn't have good grades. My mom put me in a lot of extracurriculars that would make me look good. So like piano and stuff like that. Like I feel like a lot of my life, she was trying to make me into an impressive person for others. And it was like a lot of this stuff has only occurred to me as I become a parent and I watch like my interactions with my kids. So I I grew up that way, 16. And when I was in high school I took the AP computer programming, and I got the worst grade on it possible. Like, I think a a one is the best, and I got a five. And my teacher told me, like, I just don't think you're cut out for this. Like, you're not a programmer. And so then I kind of accepted that, and I worked at a local tech company, and and I was, like, wiring computer labs and stuff like that. And then they gave me a minimum wage job, like, building websites and stuff like that, and it kind of, like, built my self-work back up it clicked for me in the sense that like everyone wrote me off. And so then I was just kind of happy in this like empty bubble of like, I was just like, you know, doing open source projects online and like, no one really cared. I was, I didn't really exist to anyone. And it was really nice to be in that way. Like that was really freeing that all of a sudden, like all the, all the eyes weren't on me anymore. So I kind of just like bumbled through and I just kept getting better and better jobs. So like, I went from there and like, I was making like eight an hour, And then there was another company in Toledo that was going to pay me $20 an hour to write code for I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And so I just kept like bumping between jobs. And then one day people start taking you seriously. I got a job at this company, Etsy, and I feel like they took a big risk on me. I was like a nobody that was like, you know, had these small jobs. And I had gone to this thing called hacker school that was the idea was you go and like you work on your personal projects and they kind of evaluate you. And it's like writer's retreats for programmers. And so I just like hung out with all these other people that were into programming for the sake of programming. And then they referred me out to a job. I think I would have been 23 or 24 as well. And the thing that was very strange for me that was impactful is after I got that job, I went out to dinner and my parents gave me a certificate that said like, we were wrong, you were right. And they had it like notarized and everything. It was like this funny joke to them. But it seemed strange to me that I was considered you know, an acceptable person now that I was making six figures. I think that job was like for one hundred one thousand it was just like and this was in, this was in like the early 2010s that was that was a lot of money to go from like you know making twenty dollars an hour to making six figures and like so it was weird and like I think it was that moment that it clicked and I'm like, I don't care what people think about me anymore. like it was very like empty like that I make money and now all of a sudden people see me as like a good person. And all these hobbies and things I cared about that I identified about, no one ever cared about.
1: It's just interesting, all those years later. I mean, or maybe not too many years later, that your parents, you know, they they said they gave you this notarized certificate, you know. And I'm positive. I mean, I don't know your parents, and I don't know you at all, but I'm assuming that it was out of a place. I mean, yeah, sure, it was a joke. I don't think they were doing it to be mean. It doesn't seem like they were doing it to be mean at all. But it was just really how they felt, and that's really interesting because, with my grandfather, for my own experience, it took a long time for him. Even though I told him at twenty four years old, like I had to write him like a letter, and 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 I had to because I couldn't tell him face to face because he's not really. He doesn't really understand it that way. So I had to do it where it's like one-way communication. Like I'm going to write this and you're going to read it. And then whatever you think, we'll talk about it at some other time. We didn't talk about it for like three months after I wrote this letter and I like bled into this letter. Like literally I was like crying, like writing it. I was like, oh my God, like I can't keep doing these things for you, like, or seemingly for you. And the thing is, is like three months later at the end of it, he, sat down and he talked to me and he had he printed out the letter and uh and he and he and he had it at the at our talk because I said I wanted to talk about it. And he was just like, I just want what's best for you. I thought that by applying this pressure he didn't use these words, I'm summing it up. But by applying this pressure I was doing you good. And I don't apologize for it because I'm your grandfather and you're my grandson. And I was I was like, oh, okay, you know I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want an apology. I just thought it was an interesting, I just thought that that was an interesting thing.
0: Yeah. It's, that's a lot to process. Cause it's like, did he not want to apologize because he really didn't think he'd do anything wrong? Did he not want to apologize because he knew he did something wrong, but he was like ashamed and he didn't want to admit wrongdoing. Like there's a lot of layers there. Yeah. I, I think what I've found is that parents hold their children to an unreasonable standard and they hold them to a standard that they don't hold themselves. It's insane to me that parents will wax poetic about like no screen time and no iPads and whatnot while we're constantly glued to our phones. As parents, like all the things we failed at, we try to go fix in our children. And my hope is that I just accept my kids for whoever they are. And none of this really matters. Like that's that's the other thing. It's like You know, we're all tied to these dollars and cents and social hierarchy and stuff like that. Like in a moment, it could all go away. This complicated financial system could collapse. You know, everyone was amazed when the USSR fell, like everyone, everyone's always amazed when these big events happen. Like none of this really matters. And it's sad that we put so much pressure on our kids to fit into these systems that could disappear in a heartbeat. And like, why were you raked over the coals for 10 years to fit into all of these things that didn't really matter anyway?
1: I, I completely agree with you for one. I want to ask because we have two different audiences that listen to this, right? We have a, we have a bunch of people that listen to it, but just generally speaking, we have a, a little bit of the older, more seasoned professionals that listen to this, who might have kids that are in the you know, 12 to 18 range. And then there are people that have kids that are really young they're thinking about this stuff now for themselves, like as parents. And then we also have pretty young people listen to this, uh, you know, in the 18 to 20 range that are just like, this is me. Like what you guys are talking about with your own experience. I'm going through that right now. I'm wondering from the child's perspective, how can we help people? Or what would you tell people that that feel like they're doing that? Because I get messages every day without just saying the same thing that I feel the pressure from my parents, to go to college, the pressure from my school, from my friends, all my friends are going to college, but I don't want to go. I see that it's you know, a waste of money or whatever. You know, There's a bunch of reasons that I can do it better, or whatever. I just don't want to go. How do I tell people
0: that I'm not going to do what they want me to do? I think you perceive everyone's life as better than your own. Everyone loves to give unsolicited marriage advice but then you find out that their marriages are a mess actually and you find out after they get divorced or after one of them passes away and it's like like why did i listen in the first place and it's the same with the life advice like people are going to jobs they hate and then they have the audacity to just sit and tell you like this is how you should do this and this is how you should do that like no one has it figured out and i think the truth is is you can't look to anyone for advice no one really has it figured out just find what feels right to you and just keep iterating on that just keep doing that every day and who knows like you when you reach the end of your life that's it and hopefully you did what felt best to you because you also don't know what the end of your life is going to be like you know like there's nothing to say that you won't get cancer in your 50s and that's it and like don't be like okay like i'm going to listen to other people's advice and i'll bust my butt and then like i'll retire someday like because there might not be retirement in the same way just don't i don't know don't listen to other people it feels funny and i'm out here giving advice my advice is don't listen to me like i don't have it figured out I can tell you about the things that hurt me or the things that I went through or the realizations I went through, but I really don't have it figured out. So don't, don't listen to me and be like, okay, this is what I'm going to base my life around. Cause like we're all very broken people. And those that say they aren't are doing it because they're selling you something like that's, that's the other thing is like everyone that like, if tells you like, I've got it figured out, take cold showers and like, you know, do this. And like, you'll be a man. Like, no, like they're very broken people. They probably go home and they're, they have an unhappy marriage and like, they like feel regret that they weren't closer with their kids. Like don't listen to them. Like it's all it's all just people trying to sell you stuff.
1: Amazing, and I really, uh, really subscribe to that. I really feel that because I feel the same way. I don't think I've said it too often on this podcast, or I, I know that I said it a lot more at the beginning, but it's just like who am i to sit behind this mic and build this audience the people that are listening to this and who make this show possible really but who am i to to do this what makes me qualified to do this and really nothing right like i'm i'm just as unqualified as any other person out there to talk about these issues or these things and so yeah i i totally feel that that being said you know everybody has their opinion and what i have found after doing this for a while, you know, we've been at it for over two years now is that, you know, we just do our best. The reason why we have people like you on is so we're not just preaching at people, right? And so we can have people on that, that'd be like, this is how I did it. Like, this is not how to do it, right? Like this is how I did it. I don't know if that's correct or not. Maybe follow this path. But I did it 10 years ago. I did it 20 years ago. Maybe it's different now. I'm not sure. But but by having you on and people like you on, people that are listening to this, the audience, the, the listeners, they can, you know, hopefully glean just a one little nugget. My my goal is that in 90 minutes of of our podcast, is that's how long we schedule these things for. Usually they're about an hour. Is that in this hour of actual content that you're listening to that you're going to come out with one nugget, just one little thing that you can take away and put into your life. If you walk away with one of those things, if you hear something that I say or something that Sean says in this one hour, I feel like we did our jobs.
0: I just think it's cathartic hearing you talk about your life experiences because a lot of people they'll get up and they'll just it's all a show. But you know, if you're willing to talk about your grandfather and other stuff like that, like, it's cathartic, I'm sure other people are going through those experiences. And it just, it helps them work through their own and like process them on their own. Yeah, I I don't know, like, shared experiences work for me, because a lot of people like to go to, to talk therapy. But for some reason, it doesn't work for me. Like, I enjoy having conversations with people. But I don't enjoy unloading my problems on people is what it feels like to me. So like, this is, for me, like, listening to people talk or like, watching movies about people like go through their struggles. It like helps you think differently about yours.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I would love to talk about, you know, how you basically got to where you are today as a developer, as a programmer, as a, whatever it is that you consider yourself. And I explicitly with you would love to get into, you know, programmers, developers, software engineers. I would definitely love to get into there before we go down that rabbit hole, which I have a lot to ask you. I get into a lot of internet arguments with people over it. I would love to talk about, you know, you took this AP course in computer science. You got the worst grade possible, or at least on the test, rather you got the worst uh, AP test grade possible And here you are, you're doing open source projects and you are still building your computer science and your programming background. You break into your $8 an hour job, your 20 an hour job. When you finally got to Etsy and you're making this hundred thousand dollars, you're making this six figure paycheck. How did you start programming? How did you start and how
0: do other people start? I think the best way to start is to solve a problem that you're passionate about for me like doing diy projects i get kind of the same energy that i get from programming projects so like if, if you if i went over to someone else's house and they're like oh my electrical is acting up you're not as motivated but if it's your own house you'll sit at all hours of the night and you'll be testing things and you'll be ripping stuff out of the wall and eventually you figure it out and for me that's this, my same attitude with programming like. I was solving problems I cared about. And so I was motivated to work on it at all hours of the night. And I don't think it's any different than that. Like programming to me feels the same as doing electrical work in my house, which I'm I'm terrible at, but I'm starting to enjoy it more and more. And then for programming, I just said yes to every problem that came my way, if there was money or not, because I just I wanted to please people. I took the next job because, you know, there was a new person to make happy, there was a new problem to solve. And if you make yourself Invaluable to people, like you'll end up being financially rewarded. I think that was good. And the other thing that I got better at was talking and selling myself. Like when I started down this path, I don't think I could have had more than a 10 minute conversation with someone on a podcast like this. But as you do it more and more, you get better at selling yourself, you get better at telling your story. And I feel like a lot of my job interviews go this way as well. Like I'm just You try to explain who you are to someone and like, if they're convinced, oh, I would like to work with this person. And then the next thing is like, how much am I willing to pay to work with this person? If you convince people that you're valuable, you'll just continue to make more and more money.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. When you were first starting out, I was excited to talk to you because of your experience in open source projects and one of the things when you are confronted with learning the skill set of being a programmer, being a developer, you're like, how do I choose which languages to learn, which projects to create? And so you're like, do I go the open source route? Do I just contribute to an open source project push code there? Do I just create an entirely different project here using open source things? How could you? go through that decision making process with open source what are the benefits of the open
0: source and then what are the cons so for open source the nice thing about it is like no one else controls your destiny and there's a lot of open source projects that i've contributed. so you can go look at my github and i've been contributing to open source projects probably since like 2011 and i just did like a lot of like small contributions here and there and they were really really hard it was really really hard to get it in at first like it would be like just like one line i was trying to change like some text in the program and the maintainer would respond and be like, Oh, that you're doing this completely wrong way. And they would get rejected. And as time goes on, it gets easier and easier. It's better to build a project of your own because you're more motivated and you control everything. Like it's very hard to be successful and build something. If you're always asking someone else like, Oh, is this okay? Can I merge this? Can I do that? And it's also hard to get like the reward for yourself. Like, If you contribute to someone else's open source project, it's always going to be their open source project. Like, no matter how much you do, it'll always be like someone else will be the hero of the story. With my open source Pion, like, I always try to create little sandboxes for everyone that contributes. So it's like their thing. So, like, I try to split it up into little repos and give people like things they own just to make it as good as possible. I don't think the programming language matters. Whatever you're most passionate about. So for me, I always really wanted to do stuff in C because I viewed it as like a real programmer's language. Like when I was learning, I started with PHP and JavaScript and people are like, oh, you're just a web dev. You don't really know what you're talking about. You have to write something in C and then I'll take you seriously. And so like I had this weird emotional fixation. on like, I'm going to be a C programmer. And so I picked out projects. So like that worked for me because I was willing to work nights and weekends because it was making me feel better about myself. So you just have to figure out like what motivates you the most. And I think that takes some like self-discovery and self-actualization to figure out like, how can I convince myself, you know, we're lazy, irrational bags of meat. How can I get this person to do as much as possible? And you have to like, that's what you have to figure out. So I don't think the programming languages matter. Like the projects matter. None of it matters. It's like, how can you Convince yourself to work long hours on things, and many times it will fail, and then randomly you will have a success. Because I've done a, a handful of open source projects now, and the one that succeeded, I didn't expect. Like I wanted to, but like I, I had no idea that it was going to succeed. And like in the big scheme of things, it's not even that successful. Like if you look at the other things out there, it's like it's it's a drop in the ocean. Yeah, that's that was that's like the core of the idea. Just figure out how to motivate yourself. Can we? Talk about the
1: programming languages that you were talking about with JavaScript and PHP, and why it's bad to be consider. You know, I'm using bad in air quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why it's bad to be a web dev, and then what C is, and why only real programmers learn C. Can we just hash that up for the listeners a little bit? Yeah, yeah.
0: You have languages like PHP or Python that are higher level languages. The idea is that like. They let you write code faster. They're easier to build things with, but they're costlier for the computer. The computer has to do more work, so the programmer does less work. So I can build a website, but it becomes expensive to run that. And so I think programmers in a like it's no different than any other thing where like real programmers will use these harder languages, even if there's no value in it people will go right and C and C plus just to prove themselves. I think like a good parallel is if, if you go to the gym, like a lot of people will say like, oh man, if you're for the real deal, you'll only, you'll squat and you'll deadlift and like don't, you know, anything else, like you're, you're just taking it easy on yourself. But it's like, what are your goals? Like, do you care about, you know, going to a powerlifting meet? Because if you don't, like why, like, do you just want to look good? Then like cut some weight and, you know, hit some dumbbells, I guess. Like it's all just like what your goals are in life. And so a lot of people will drill into you like, you have to squat, you have to squat, or you have to write C, you have to write C if you want to be a real programmer or like a real lifter, kind of that same parallel. And like this, these were all things that were going in my head when I'm 18. Like now I care less about what other people think. But yeah, so like I started with these languages, because that's what like my employers wanted. Like they wanted websites, they wanted these other things, but like, no one's asking for like C, which is for lower level high performance things, but there's just less demand for it, which I guess also lends to the mystique of it.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. I would love to switch gears here and talk about your job titles. Okay. So this is from your LinkedIn. If you go to your LinkedIn, I'm not sure if you're going to share your LinkedIn with us at the end. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So excellent. I will put links to uh, Sean's LinkedIn and everything we talk about really at Our show notes degreefree.co4 podcast for everybody listening. If you go to Sean's LinkedIn, one of the things you'll notice in the experience category is that you have the exact same job title for every single job that you've had. That's on there. And we usually at the beginning of these things, but we kind of jumped right into it. We usually go over your background and we kind of go over the quote unquote pedigree and everything. So I'll I'll sum it up real quick for the listeners here, at least from the LinkedIn, you know, you've worked at Etsy. We've talked about that. You went on to AWS. Eventually you did your Pion, right? Pion lead. Mm -hmm. You've been at Apple and now you're at Twitch. So I don't know for those listening that are thinking, is this guy legit? Like definitely for sure. But every single job title says developer. Why is that?
0: Yeah. So I've had a bunch of different titles, some very elevated, some not so much, somewhat of a negotiation tactic. So if I'm vague about it, when I go to apply for another job, they're not able to peg me at a level. Because like, one of the problems you have as a, as a developer is when you go and interview, they try to fit you into a slot as what your level is. Like, are you an L5, L6? Are you a senior principal? And if I'm purposely vague about it, it's easier to up level. The other thing is that I disrespect people that if you go to your LinkedIn, and you're obviously like very showy about your titles, you're like, I'm a senior principal of architecture. I'm like, the odds are that that person's full of shit. And they're not even like doing much anyway. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't care. And on top of that, it's kind of like, I kind of can't stand this like corporate praise that like my entire identity is like tied to the fact that I worked at Apple. I'm so much more than that. And like, I hope that when I leave Apple or leave Amazon, do I all of a sudden become nothing just because like I'm not at those places anymore. So like I'm proud to be associated with Pion, but I hope that like the entire essence of my being isn't my employment at like fang companies. And then the other part of it is that I had so much resentment when I was breaking into the industry. Like it's so much easier to get an interview once you're at Amazon. So like when I when I was at Etsy, like I think I've done like six phone interviews at Google, two on sites, never got it. When I, when I finally got in at AWS, doors opened up for me like crazy. Like I would go in to San Francisco to interview and it was crazy. It was like the jobs all of a sudden became so much easier. Like before I was at Amazon, they would leak code me for a day and a half. And now that I'm at Amazon, I literally show up and they'll make small talk. And at the end, they'll be like, okay, like, where do you see yourself? And they'll, they'll offer me a job. Like the whole thing, it's illogical. It's subjective. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of a system that frustrates me. And so you'll see like things like that, like developer, developer, developer. It's like, I love what I do. I love that I build things that people use that, you know, if you like use FaceTime or you use Twitch that you're, you you know, you do video streaming on the web, you're probably using code I've touched. That brings me so much joy. But the fact that I have to fit into this corporate system that feels so frustrating, I'm not so happy with. So, yeah, there's, there's, but yeah, let's talk more about titles. I I know people find that very interesting. And
1: you use a term there. You said leak code?
0: Leap code? Oh, leak code. what, What does that mean? So, leak code is like a testing service where you'll go in and they'll have these pre prepared like brain teasers. And so you'll go in and you'll be asked like a leak code medium or a leak code hard. And it's basically just like a drill for programmers. And you're supposed to go in and you're supposed to make out the patterns real quickly. And they're usually like trick questions kind of deal. And like it proves that you're a good programmer because you're able to spout the trick. It's a long conversation about like, are are these leak code questions actually a reflection of a programmer's quality or not?
1: Got it. Got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... I definitely want to talk about, you know, getting into a fan company because that's what everybody wants, right? Like, I mean, you know, it, you're, you're working yeah. at fan companies. I'm sure you talk to people all the time that, that want to work at fan companies.
0: I, d- I desperately wanted it. It was my entire existence for years. So Google was the one I wanted desperately like this. It, w- it was a different time. Like Google was the place to be in the early 2000, 2010s when I was like interviewing and like, I tried so much and like, I can still remember where I was. Like I was walking my dog outside when I got my rejection call after my onsite, like it meant everything to me. So I don't blame people listening to this, that it's still their everything. Cause I was right there. Like I know how it feels, but yeah, let's, I want to be frank about this stuff.
1: When you were at Etsy, was it easy to make the leap to Amazon? But prior to Etsy, it was really not that great, right? I mean, your title or the job that you had, and then you made it to Etsy, seemingly from an outsider's perspective and i'm just from my perspective i'm like oh etsy that's a big company maybe it's like not the biggest of companies but that's still a big company so my thought is that well maybe it would be easier to get into a fan company but you're saying that that it wasn't
0: i got into amazon because i was hired into a business unit that wasn't as competitive. Programmers are always looking for jobs that make them look better. So like if like right now you want to go work on something that's AI, because that's good for your career. I got hired to work on Amazon's Silk browser, which people weren't fighting to go work on. Like people weren't piling on. So like my boss at the time, just random LinkedIn reached out and said like, hey, do you want to come work on this? And like, I was just like, so grateful. Like I was so excited. This is finally my opportunity. So like I got into a business unit that was not competitive. So like the stars kind of aligned for me on that.
1: That's amazing because, you know, just going to where there's a less competition, getting your foot in the door, as the old cliche says, and now that you're at Amazon, it just becomes that much easier for you to get calls or for people to take calls from you.
0: And it's overnight. It's like, I cannot, I remember just like my LinkedIn overnight, all of a sudden, you know, the second I put AWS on my LinkedIn, people just started sending me messages nonstop. And it was the weirdest thing ever. Also, I had no understanding that Silk wasn't a competitive area to be in. Like, there's no way you can know that from the outside. If you go to Amazon Jobs page, there's no way you can look at a job listing and be like, okay, well, I like this manager. Is it a competitive business unit? And then there's all these other things I didn't appreciate. So like Silk wasn't a competitive business unit to be a programmer in. But it was one of the happiest places I've ever worked. Like my boss was very honest with me. He was like very accomplished at people management and not in a like a sociopathic way where he knew how to like whip people. Like he was just like a very caring person, but also make sure that we got things done. And he had any pushback on like his bosses all the time. But then I went other places that were super competitive and everyone wanted to be at. And those places were not fun to be at because everyone was like tearing at each other. They wanted to get promoted. Yeah, there's a lot of things in like Fang. Like, we can talk about like the whole promo dot culture and all the things that go into it.
1: I would love to go wherever you would like to go. So yeah, yeah if, uh, if we could talk about that, because I don't think yeah. we've ever talked about that before.
0: Yeah, so like when you work at a small company... It's very apparent, like, are you actually, like, important to the company? So, like, when I worked at a small company in Chicago called Web Checkout, I would, like, work directly with customers. And it would be obvious, oh, Sean worked on this project this quarter. And, like, that, like, directly influenced the business and people used it. But when you go to a big company, like, you're assigned tickets. And you can't know, like, oh, did Amazon's stock price go up because of what I did? Like, it obviously didn't have nothing to do with you. And so, what you're always doing is you're hunting for projects that make you look better. Because every six months, you compile a list, basically a bullet point list of like, here's all the reasons that I'm a good programmer, and I deserve to be promoted. Because if you can send that list on, you can, you know, you can make $50,000 more. And the other thing is, if a lot of companies have like an up and out or stack ranked, so like the bottom 10% get fired, because the idea is like, we want to. Get rid of the bad people, and we want to bring in new people. So, if if you're not getting promoted, you're putting yourself at risk to get fired. A lot of people make the joke rest invest. Like, they'll just take a job and they'll just hang out and like they'll wait for their next, you know, stock options to come in. So, yeah, there's like a lot of like mind games and other things you need to be aware of that happen. How
1: did you go from getting your foot in the door working on the Silk browser to working? At Apple, now you're working at Twitch on WebRTC. How did you make the switch between Silk
0: to WebRTC? So the company before I I had worked on WebRTC at Infinisine, and I, I really loved the space, and there was a bunch of potential there. Like, people wanted this software, and so I just did it to make people happy. Like, it felt so good to get on Slack and have people be like, I want this bug fixed. I want this feature. Like, I'm building a company, and I'm depending on this. You know, it felt like being the most popular person at school. It's when then people, everyone wants to talk to you. And so like, you're just incentivized to keep building this thing and making it better. It just feels like the same as with any, it's like working on your house or working on your car or or like working on your body. Like, it's just like, you're building this thing and you're making it better. And I don't think about it any more than that. I'm just like, I'm building this thing. So I started building this thing and that's where the next jobs came out of is like this open source project. So like people would ask me to come and give talks on it companies started using it. And so they would offer me jobs. But it was completely random that like this project worked out like COVID happened. So WebRTC became much more important. So that's like I was at Silk. But then it was this combination of being an Amazon and having a popular open source project that happened at once that made things go much better for me.
1: For those listening and for myself,
0: what does Pyon do? So... WebRTC is this technology that lets two computers connect to each other and exchange audio and video. So like we're using WebRTC right now. It's even got bigger. So like originally it was conferencing, but now it's expanded into other spaces. Like if you use security cameras or like game streaming, like Stadia used WebRTC, or if you use robots, like all of these things, it's all about like connecting two devices and then in real time sending audio and video together. And I made an implementation of WebRTC That was more generic, like a lot of WebRTC implementations were designed to solve a singular problem. I went and I was just like, I had people that were underserved, like companies that were building things that like existing WebRTC software wasn't working for them. And so like I just I found a niche in the WebRTC space.
1: One of the things that we talk about a lot here is doing things in public, whether it is for people that are not technical. And if you wanted to, it could be like just making content here, right? And just doing things out in public, having some sort of project. A lot of people, if you don't know what that means you could think of it like a side hustle but I hate to use that word like that side hustle culture side hustle culture you don't have to like even think or even know where or how you're gonna monetize it there doesn't even need to be a monetization plan behind it but if you're doing things out in public like how you did with uh, your web RTC with pion right then eventually things are gonna happen for you and things you know like for example for me you and I would have never been connected if I didn't do this podcast. right? And if I didn't have this thing where I'm literally out in public with it and saying, this is what I do. I highlight people that are successful, that don't have degrees. Right. And, we, and hopefully we can tell your life story and people can learn from it. If I didn't have that, I would have no reason for us to ever come together. And that's one of the things that we try to get at here is regardless of what industry you're trying to get into or what you're trying to break into, doing things in public is
0: almost like a cheat code or a shortcut to life. And do it for the betterment of your own life. Because I did Pion, I went out to London. It was something I I never thought I would go to Europe in my entire life. And then I I went and gave this talk and I went to like old churches, just all these cool things that I never thought I would do. So with Pion, I don't make a single cent. Like it's a it's code I put out on the Internet for free that anyone can use. But it was all these random side effects that ended up enriching my life so much. I would say that go out and do things for other people. Because it will bring you financial return. But B, like all of a sudden you'll wake up and you're like, holy crap, my life is so much better. Because if I hadn't done that, I probably would have spent a lot of time just sitting at home playing video games and wasting and, you know, like wasting my life, not wasting my life, but like things that don't mean as much to me. So it's like you have one life to live why I got to do interesting things. Like if the choice is like, OK, I'll go do a side hustle and maybe I'll lose some money on it. But I had all these great experiences compared to like, oh, I didn't do a side hustle. But I sat at home and I wasn't happy anyway. Like what's there to lose? I would love to go back
1: talking about the job titles a little bit. And one of the biggest things that we hear, whatever we have a developer, software engineer, whatever it is that we want to call your title or, you know, whatever it is. One of the biggest comments is that, oh, you can't be a software engineer without a college degree. You're a coder or you're just a programmer. I would love to get your take on one, the definition between all of these different titles, you know, and I think that you're the perfect man to ask for this. And so I'd love to get your opinion on what are the different titles, coders, programmers, developers, software engineers, architects, whatever. And then what makes
0: you these things? So what is the goal of all of this? It's like, why do you sit down? You're a programmer, develop whatever, because if you're doing a career, it's because you want to make as much money as possible. And then, or you write code because you want to build something interesting. And the other thing is that I don't think people realize from the outside that software programmers like this industry, it's as competitive, toxic masculinity, a bunch of posturing as any other career. So a lot of these things like, architect, engineer, programmer, all of that is just games people are playing to make themselves look better. Because everyone is terribly afraid. They want to make more money. They're afraid they're going to lose their job. They're trying to posture to so the next level. So like a lot of these mind games and labels, I think, come from that, where people are trying to do that. And then to the comment that, oh, you'll never be an architect because you never went to college. Who cares? Like it doesn't... It, yeah, it's like it doesn't matter. Like if play the game that you want to compete on, like, I think there are people that went to way more school than me. And I'm sure at one point thought they were better than me. And now I make more money than them. Does that mean I won? Does that mean I'm better than them? And like, what game are you trying to play here? Like, what are you optimizing for? Like your personal happiness? Like are you trying to financially independent, retire early? I don't, I don't know. It's it's a very confusing thing. And everyone's making it up. There's no central board That's that certifies like Sean's officially a programmer because like he's written this many lines of code. It's like a very new green field. That's all made up and people are making up shit so they can make as much money as possible.
1: I, I agree with you a 100%. One of the things that I think about when you're talking about this, about like, it just doesn't matter is if you do things in your life, like you do awesome things, you do amazing things, you go out and then you talk about the things that you did. You're not saying like, this is how to become a software developer. This is how to do it. And you are a bartender at a restaurant, right? Like if you're doing those two things, then you know, you're full of shit. But if you go and you become one and then you talk about it, then somebody says like, you're not a software engineer. You'll never be one. Well, you'll never feel that insecurity or not never feel that insecurity, but you won't have as much insecurity because you will have known like Dude, I do it every single
0: day. Like that's all I do. It says it on my paycheck that I (laughs) that I'm a software engineer. And I think what helps me is I had nothing. Like I was like a you know, I was a, a terrible programmer that no one took seriously. And I can go back to that and still be okay. But I remember like you know the choice of programming languages, the choice in jobs, the desperation to get into certain things. Like it's such a fragile time that you want to prove yourself, you know, you want to like meet someone and you want to tell them like, I have this impressive job so that they'll date you. And then you want to make your parents happy. And like, I really empathize with people that are in that situation that they care about these things. And I hope that they can find that peace and that self worth. But I also think that this whole system is made up to keep you as unhappy as possible. Because you'll keep buying, you'll keep consuming, you'll keep being unhappy. And then like, eventually you'll find peace and you'll realize it was all just a game and like, well, none of it matters. You'll find out what matters to you eventually. I hope. I'm sure in 10 years, I'll look back and be like, man, I was such a kid. But I I feel happier now than I've definitely felt 10 years ago.
1: You know, It's an interesting thing with the system set up to keep us unhappy. One of the things that You hear from people that are rich, that do interviews and that make content. The number one thing that they say is that money doesn't buy happiness, or you're not going to be happy. If you get all of this money, the problem with that is that you're hearing it from somebody that has money, right? So obviously they should know, right? Like, so there's a couple of things there. One is that they probably know what they're talking about, Like you know what I mean? Like this is a billionaire or this is a multimillionaire, or this is somebody who has all of their baseline needs taken care of. And they have excess money every month. They have more money and income than they spend. Right. And they are telling you that it doesn't buy happiness and that you should find your happiness and your fulfillment in something else that isn't money. The problem is that it's easy to say that when you have money, I've thought about this a lot because I remember not that I have a lot of money, but I am in that category of I spend less than what I make. I've been very fortunate that I've been in that category pretty much since I was 16 years old because I'm, I was pretty good at at saving money and things like that, personal finance, but I digress. But I think back to when times were hard. And I remember my, my now wife, she was my girlfriend, Hannah, at the time we were living together And we were in the canned vegetable aisle because we couldn't afford fresh vegetables. And we were making a decision between canned tomatoes and we were doing the unit economics of canned tomatoes, not because we were cheap, but because it mattered. We had to pick which one was cheaper because it mattered to us. And if you had told me that money didn't matter or money doesn't buy happiness at that time, I would have told you to shove it up your ass. And so where is that balance? And I'm not sure that you have the
0: answer to it. It's just Maybe it's a rhetorical question, but I'd love to have your take on it. So another thing that a lot of these people that say money doesn't matter is because they grew up with parents who had money and they never had to really struggle in their life either. You know, it's like we hear these inspiring stories of like, oh, I started my small business and blah, blah, blah. No, oh, I, I made Microsoft. And I'm like, well, your, your mom was on the board of IBM and your dad was like a very like important lawyer, you know, like this Bill Gates stories and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's all just made up for self-promotion. Like I wonder if people that get on podcasts and say like money doesn't matter, if they have such terrible self-esteem and self-worth that they're getting up there and they're telling people lies because they hope that like it makes them look better and that will like fix whatever deficiency they have that they have, they need to get up and lie. But no, money does, money does matter. Like there's no better feeling that now when my wife wants nice things, I can just buy them on the whim. The other one that I remember was being able to eat out whenever you want. That was another huge one for me is like now, like it used to be like, I would only eat out at the end of the month when I knew I had like a surplus and I'd be like, Oh, like we're going to go to Granite city. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> but now it's like, if it's a Thursday night and I'm just like, I don't feel like eating anything in the fridge, I'll just order DoorDash. I mean that, that, that is such a different experience. Like, I can't tell you how freeing that is to just not have to worry about these things anymore. Or when things break in your house, to not have to budget ahead of time and be like, oh, shit, like, that water heater is going to go that I can just be like, okay, I'm going to call a plumber. We're going to get him in and fix this thing. Like, if the people that tell you that money doesn't matter, they've never, like, experienced what life... And I, I don't even have a job. Like job. Li- like, literally, it's just the average American experience what I'm describing.
1: And I think if they did experience those things, it was so long ago
0: that they're disconnected from it. How can we ta- how can we talk about it, though? Like we remember like I, like, I, I think these people are they're either sociopaths and they're so disconnected from people or they're just flat out lying to manipulate us. Like it doesn't make any sense to me how people can get and say that.
1: It's a conversation that I'm very passionate about, and Hannah and I think a lot about because you know if we're fortunate enough, our income will will keep going. I'm not super worried about it. I think that it will, and I think that you know as long as we keep working and doing doing the hard work that we're doing now and keep that up into the future, it's all good things are going to are going to come. We provide more value to people, you know. We put out more episodes, and what you know all the, all this good stuff. But we talk about it because we don't ever want to lose sight of it. I I never want to be one of those people that, that say that I've said that on this podcast before, but my grandmother had a beautiful saying that I love. And I, and I really feel now, and she's been saying it since I'm really little. And she was just like, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but it sure helps the simplicity of that statement. I didn't understand it until maybe like a decade ago. And then I was like, I don't know what that means. And then you're like. Okay. Exactly what you're saying, right? When you get to a certain level and you don't have to be that rich to get to that level, truly maybe just a middle-class American where exactly what you're saying, your car breaks or your water heater goes out. It's a hot Texas summer and your car AC goes out just knowing that whatever it costs to get fixed, you can throw it on the credit card and it will be paid in full by the next statement. right and worrying about which credit card you're going to put it on so that you can maximize the amount of points that you're going to get rather than holy crap I don't have a single penny to my name I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. You know, I think in the essence that you know that's what she meant, right? is that you still have problems. You still have to think about Okay, which which of these cards am I going to put on to maximize my points? And that's still a problem, albeit a much more welcome problem than having two cents in your bank account. But and so it doesn't ha- buy happiness, but you know it it just changes your problems and it helps.
0: I mean, the the real joy is like when you stop even worrying about points, and you're like, I don't even have to gamify this anymore. I just like I go about my day and I do my hobbies and my things that I find interesting, and I hang out with my family and. And that's it. And like I, I think we just all we all want to reach that same point, and then somewhere along the way, we're told that oh, nicer things will make us happier, or other thing. I don't know. I don't know where it all goes wrong.
1: I don't want to take up all of your day, but I would like to transition into the way that we got connected was through Garrett Graves. For everybody listening, Garrett, he was on the podcast. I will link his show in the show notes. Like I said, degreefreeco co four slash podcast and. Your name came up because I believe the story was that you reached out to him to congratulate him on his project that he was doing, and I think it's called Lightspeed. I'm pretty sure that is pro- uh, that's his project's name. And then you guys kind of hit it off and you became, his words, a mentor to him and helped him, you know, get to where he is today and you're still helping him now. I would love to talk about why you reached out. Because at the time, I'm pretty sure that you were already at Apple and you were seemingly you made it already. What are you doing reaching out to other people?
0: Other people did that for me. Like someone took a risk on me. Moishe Letvin was my manager and like he had every right not to hire me, but he took a risk on me. So like other people did that for me. The other is that talking to Garrett makes me happy. Like I'm not Garrett's mentor. I'm Garrett's peer. And Garrett, you know, I see a better future in the things Garrett is doing. He's a good person who's like motivated and he's doing right by people. So and that's it. And like, I just, and I want to go through life and I, and I want to be passionate about things. Like I do this open source because I'm passionate and like seeing Garrett's passion for the problems he was working on makes me feel good. Like I like talking to him. Like if you sit down with lunch with him, he'll talk at you about all the things he's excited about. You come away like, just feeling happy. I mean, like some people you sit down and they're bummed out. They don't like their job and stuff like that, like that. So yeah, I would always do things for people that I think would do things for others. Like I totally expect that Garrett will have his own company in 10 years and he'll take chances on people and he'll do other things. So yeah, honestly, I feel like I'm like talking my way out of like taking a chance. Like I, I did nothing. Like I, like Garrett would have arrived at where he is at life if he had never met me. I didn't have anything to do with his success. Like I'm, I'm happy that I know him. And uh, that's it.
1: Seemingly you were, I mean, you're very humble, but seemingly you were just paying it back well, paying it forward, I suppose, whatever the nomenclature is because somebody did that for you. I think that the world needs a lot more of that. You know, it gets difficult at a certain point because I think about myself and back, you know, two years ago, prior to starting degree free, I would help a lot of people one-on-one because I, I've held my opinions that I hold now that I espouse now more publicly. I've held that for about a decade. And my opinion has been developing since then back then I would help people, you know, a lot more one-on-one, but as you know, notoriety builds and as you start to do more of these things and talk about these things, you know, the inbounds starts to come in. And so I'm thinking about it from my own perspective and, you know, like, I don't know, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate, but I get a lot of messages every day of like, Hey, I, you know, I'm trying to break into this industry and I need help doing this. And I don't know how to deal with all of the inbound, to be quite honest, there's not really a question there. Your humility and your candor, have, you know, kind of made me think about my own like, man, maybe I need
0: to be helping more people. No, there's, there's a bunch of people that I, that I don't. So like with the open source project, I've got, I get DMs, people asking for help and like, Hey, can you do this? And you do that. There's so many people that I've helped that haven't deserved it, and there's so many people that I've ignored that I should have helped more. And it's also, it's just, it's good for yourself as well. Like I, I like helping people in the WebRTC space because the more good people that are in WebRTC, it's better for me. I, I work with Garrett now, and like he, I can depend on him. So like very selfishly, like everyone I help eventually will come back and help me in a way. You know, the other one is kids. It's like. When you have a kid, like all of a sudden it just comes so much harder, like money becomes a bigger concern. once you have that responsibility, it's just, it's, it's a lot harder to like do those side projects and just like waste time on things when like, you know, your actual offspring need you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really, really feel that one, but Sean, I do not want to take up your whole day. I just had a couple of questions left before we go. One, if people would like to follow along in your career, say hi, where is the best place that I can send them? Is that your LinkedIn?
0: Yeah, send them LinkedIn or the website, uh, dot Send me send me emails, message me on Slack, Discord, like wherever you feel most comfortable. Happy to give referrals, happy to give advice, anything I can do to help. But like I remember asking a lot of people their advice and opinions and None of it really mattered. Like I remember when like I was like at early jobs and I'd be like, I'd want to have one on ones with people and like, what is the secret to your success? And like, I think you'll be very underwhelmed if you talk to me one on one, you'll be, you'll, you'll come away and be like, oh, he didn't figure it out all for me. But yeah, I'm always happy to help.
1: <laughs> um, And Sean, what <laughs> is the URL again? Sciobud? Like, Can you spell it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So S-I-O-B-U-D.com. It's my uh, last name backwards. Ah,
1: I see. I see. I see. Excellent. And I will have links to everything in uh, the show notes degreefreeco 4 slash podcast for everybody listening. And last Sean, is there any last statements, word of advice, anything that you'd like to let the people that are listening know?
0: Whatever dissatisfaction you feel in your career, it's not just about your career. It's about you as a whole being. And I think if you go and solve those problems, that other things will fall into place. Like I'm happy to help people with career questions and other things like that. But that was the biggest thing for me. It's like when I finally figured out like it doesn't matter, like solve the problems for yourself, figure out how to feel good about yourself every day, like things magically started falling in place for me. So I hope that like other people figure that out as well.
1: I really, really hear that for me. I have struggled with some of those things myself, and I don't know what else to call it, but self-confidence issues, at least for myself, I I don't know about for you. And uh, one of the things that I have had to work on recently is being more forgiving to myself because I know that I can crack the whip on myself. Like there's nothing that, I have very thick skin. And the reason why I have very thick skin is because there's nothing that you could tell me about myself, or there's no names that you can call me or anything that you can do to me that I haven't said to myself times a hundred, right? Like, and that's just my default. And that's really good and useful. If you need to crack the whip and you need to get things done in a short amount of time, but I think over the long term and over like the span of your life and not thinking in increments of like a week, I'm starting to think that the carrot is better than the whip, you know? So I really, really ascribe or hear what you're saying with that for sure.
0: Hundred percent. It's like you'll never go to the gym because it's like I'm going to go to the gym because if I don't, I'll be punished. Like you have to find what you enjoy about it. It's like like what kind of lifting do you enjoy? What do you really enjoy? Cardio? Do you really enjoy you know martial arts? And then all of a sudden, when you find that thing you love, it just kind of takes off for you. Yeah, it's weird. But like we're not told that enough.
1: Excellent, excellent, Sean. Thank you so much for the time. I really, really appreciate it. All right, have a good one.
0: I'm I'm excited for people to listen to this.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of degree free. I absolutely enjoyed today's episode. We went into totally different areas than we normally go into. I really hope that you enjoy this. Please leave a comment on YouTube. Let me know what you think about it. Let me know if it was good. Let me know if it was bad. If you liked it, I'm thinking about doing the interviews more like this and in this style. So please let me know if you would like to receive a free weekly newsletter that has different degree-free jobs and how you can get hired without a college degree, go to degreefree.co forward slash newsletter and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And as always, The show notes can be found at degreefree.co forward slash podcast. And that includes where to find Sean Dubois on his LinkedIn and on his website, cobud.com. And that's cobud as in Dubois backwards. It's S I O B U D.com. And that's pretty much it for this week. I'll see you next week. Aloha.